Let's take the time just to pray one more time as we come to his word. Father, we thank you for that confidence and hope with which we can approach you this day because all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these gospel truths that change everything about life. And we thank you that we have the privilege of gathering to praise you this day uh, amongst your people. Please speak now to each one of our hearts through your word. Uh, Give us faith that we may stand for you in whatever trials and challenges that this week may hold out to us. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. If you could put the PowerPoint up there, Alistair. This next one. Do you know who this person is? This is uh, Rimsha Massey, this 14-year-old girl who was arrested in August um, and put in a Pakistani prison for three weeks for allegedly blaspheming uh, Islam by supposedly burning uh, a religious book that contained aspects of the Quran within it. Her Christian family and 600 other families had to flee from the, the, the slums that they were living in in Islamabad because of these uh, charges and because of the hostile backlash of the uh, Muslim folk around them. She was eventually released as it came to light that those burnt pages had actually been planted by a local Muslim cleric. And 10 days ago, uh, the Pakistani High Court in Islamabad dismissed the case. The truth is that the Christian community are still living uh, with an intense feeling of uh, oppression, of intimidation, of fear. Now, if we were part of the congregation in which Rimsha and her family attend. And uh, we had been there the Sunday after Rimsha had been arrested uh, with all the threats of intimidation around us. I wonder, what would, what would we sing in church? What songs would we be singing together? And what would we be praying if This was happening in our congregation. Well, I would suggest to you a possible place to go is Psalm 9. So I want you to open your Bibles to page 546. We're just continuing this uh, impromptu series of working through the book of Psalms. And I find it fascinating how we can come to Psalms that aren't really some of the... uh, the well-known psalms, and yet we can still find so much that God would want to nourish our souls with. So let's read this psalm, Psalm 9, page 546. It's for the director of music, so this tune of the death of the sun, we don't know what that tune is, and it's a psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. 
They stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. And there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave. All the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. This is God's word. Now keep that open. We're just going to be working through that uh, this morning. Now, there are basically two parts to this psalm. The first 12 verses are praise, and the second half is prayer. And you can see that by the fact that uh, the beginning of verse 1 and the end of verse 11 and 12 talk about praising your Lord, and the beginning of verse 13 and the end is basically a request to God. And we're going to spend most of our time really this morning uh, looking at the praise part lest you be nervous that we're near the end and I haven't really touched on the second half. Just don't want to make you panic. I'm just trying to help you out here. Um, but take, you know, what, what, what is the context in which uh, David is, is declaring, writing, singing this psalm? Well, it, it's there in verse 13. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. So how, how is David? What state of mind is he in? Well, he's in some distress, isn't he? Uh, there are people who hate him. There are enemies who are afflicting him. Things are so serious that he, he feels he's at the very gates of death. It's, it's as if those gates are opening up to him. He can, he can see that he's being drawn in and he's calling out to God in his distress. Now, th th this is an extreme situation, and he's not being melodramatic. 
You just have to read First uh, Samuel or Second Samuel in, in, your, in your Bibles, and you'll see that um, regularly David faced experiences where uh, his life was in danger. Uh, more than that, when he became king of Israel, his job was often to go out and fight against nations uh, in order to secure the peace and prosperity of his people. So David knew what it was to face the reality of death. And this is such a situation. He writes this psalm uh, at a time when he's suffering opposition, uh, violence, threats. Now what would you do in that sort of situation? I wonder if any of us have ever actually had to experience that. But how how do you cope when you feel that uh, there are people against you, you're feeling oppressed, You're feeling opposed. You're feeling stressed. How do you react in those circumstances? What do you do? Well, I don't know what you do, but uh, what what I tend to do is I I get worried. I get worried. I sigh a lot. My wife tells me to stop sighing. I become irritable and I'm hard to be around. My wife's smiling at me. I shout more at my children. And I furrow my brow. That's why I have so many lines. I panic. I become fearful. I try and bury my head in the sand with foolish distractions. And do you know what? All of those things only make things worse. They, they never, never, never makes it better. I do all of that And up to this point, no one has actually threatened to kill me. But that's what I do. And I want to suggest to us that we can learn from King David this morning. We can learn that there's a different way that we can respond. What does he do? Well, the first thing he does is he praises God for past deliverance. Look at verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What was the phrase that kept being repeated all the way through? What is it? I will. I will. Remember, he's afflicted, he's oppressed, and you know what? That is not a natural time to start giving thanks and praise, is it? But he makes a choice that is directed not by his emotions, but by his will. I will praise you, O Lord. It is a definite choice. And how is he going to do that? Is he going to do that grudgingly? Is he going to do it half-heartedly? No. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart, with his whole heart. I don't know whether you've been to a, a, a wedding or a funeral where it's obvious that, they're, that, that, that most people there are not Christian believers. What is the point where you know that that is the case? It's when you start singing a classic hymn, isn't it? So when you hit that classic hymn and you see people doing this half-hearted, trying to sing a hymn, it's pitiful, isn't it? 
Uh, It's tragic. But you know what? Non-Christians don't know or desire to praise God. They just don't want to do it. They don't do it. It's very odd. It's very foreign. You know when you're in a Christian congregation, because when they sing it is well, you, you hear what you heard today. People singing it with all their heart. Singing it with bold conviction. That's what makes it so encouraging to come Sunday by Sunday, isn't it? To, to gather with God's people and sing His praises together. It is so much better than when I have to sing on my own. And David is determined that he is going to hold nothing back. He, even though he's facing all these difficulties, he's going to praise the Lord with his whole heart. And he's determined a few other things too, hasn't he? He's determined, uh, I will tell of all your wonders, second half of verse 1. He's going to tell out all the wonderful things that God has done, the ways he's seen God rescuing him in the past. And that is what the man and the woman of faith does in the middle of difficult circumstances. He reconsiders the ways God has already been there for him in his or her life. And he not only reconsiders it, he speaks it out. And um, he's going to tell others what what God has done. That's what's going on in verses 3 to 6. David recounting God's wonderful deeds. Verse 3, My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right to my cause. You have sat on your throne judging righteously. Uh, David recounts some of the past victories, but do you notice where, where he puts the credit? Was it his brilliant strategizing? Was it his powerful strength uh, as a king? No, he recounts it was the Lord's. The righteous judge who enabled that victory to happen in his life. And not only does he recount for his own experiences, he recounts the history of Israel. Verse 5, you have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. And he is rejoicing at the thought of the victory of God for his people in times past. He recounts the history. Remembrance is a powerful source to fuel our thanksgiving for God. Remembering the past victories that God has brought about. If you come back here tonight as part of our time of worship and edification together, we are going to come to the communion table. Because the Lord has has called on us to regularly remember Him and remember what He has done for us in His death upon the cross. He gives us bread that we break and share. He gives us a cup uh, uh, that that we drink and remember His blood was spilt because the Lord knows that we regularly need to be reminded. We need to remember the past victory of what God has done for us. And we as Christian believers look supremely to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I asked for the New Testament reading today from the book of uh, Colossians. As we are reminded in the book of Colossians that God disarmed the rulers and authorities putting them to open shame, triumphing over them by the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, 
Our sin was dealt with. And so Satan's power over us was overthrown. And through his death and resurrection, death is overthrown. And when we're in the middle of great difficulties and troubles, the key that will fuel our praise is remembrance. Remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But not only does he recount God's wonderful deeds, he determines that he's also, verse 2, he's going to be glad and rejoice in you. It's not just the wonderful things that God has done he's going to recall. He's going to use them to reflect on the fact that this is the character of the God who does these things. The God who acts in this way, acts in this way because of who he is in himself. And he's going to exult in the character of God that is unchanging. There's great joy to be had in exaltation. I don't know whether you remember um, when Liverpool Football Club won the European Champions League. It was an incredible match against AC Milan. At the end of halftime, Liverpool were down 3-0, and it looked like there was no hope. But in the second half, Liverpool scored three goals in six minutes and eventually won in a penalty shootout. I'm sorry to the women who are bored with this, but there we are. How were the Liverpool supporters acting at that point? Oh, that's quite good. No, they were exulting in the stupendous feats of Liverpool. In fact, the whole of Liverpool went bananas. A bit like England today. They're rejoicing over defeating the All Blacks. The Welsh people are just depressed. Now, King David has something far greater to exalt him in God himself. And that's what he does in verses 7 to 10. And there's two aspects of God that give him great reasons for gladness. Firstly, verse 7. Look at that. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. This is what makes his heart sing. That God is a just sovereign. Now that might not seem a sweet aspect of God's character to us today. But that would only indicate that we've never experienced injustice and real evil. If we've actually survived great suffering and injustice, then this in fact is a very precious truth about God. As nations and individuals perpetrate evil and injustice, God is sitting on his throne as judge. Justice will be served. Every act of malice, abuse, hatred, greed, rape, selfishness, adultery, murder has been fully and correctly recorded by God who will judge and punish those things. There will be a day when people will get justice, when wrongs will be put right. And David just rejoices that this is the character of the God that he worships. He's a just God. He always does the right thing. There's nothing bent or crooked in God. He hates evil. He hates injustice. 
David rejoices in that. And secondly, he rejoices in verse 9 that God is also a stronghold for the oppressed. Look at verse 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. It's not just that there's a final day of justice that excited David, but the Lord is someone that he can run to for protection in the middle of his troubles. Just as uh, ships, uh, when they're in a big storm, head for the harbor, so um, the oppressed can make their way to God. Those who are experiencing opposition, hostility from enemies, then they can know that they can run to God. He's their stronghold. He's their castle. He's their refuge. He's their bunker. And he is completely able to shield and protect and keep his people. Look at the amazing promise of verse 10. This is well worth remembering, writing it down somewhere, because one day you might need this verse. Look at verse 10. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Isn't that precious? Think about this. Now, David knew this from personal experience. Many times Saul, the previous king of Israel, had tried to hunt him down and kill him. But David had trusted in the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord had never let him down. This is, this is a great verse of encouragement for Christians to pray. We know the character of this powerful God. He is totally trustworthy. What he promises, he always follows through on. And he's promised this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, it says in Hebrews. The Lord Jesus promises, uh, I, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here's this incredible promise we can claim today. For those who will seek the Lord, he has never forsaken those who seek him. Are you seeking him? In your distress, in your problems, are you running to the stronghold that is Christ? Do you know what? He, he never forsakes those who seek him. Never. It's not happened once. What a promise. But notice with me that God is not the stronghold for the oppressors. He's not the stronghold for the wicked who do evil. And uh, if justice from God means that all those who do wickedness, all those who've done evil, all those who have oppressed, means our punishment, then we should listen to what uh, Paul said to the Athenians in Acts 17. God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. But you see, what a wonderful thing. It is, a, it is a threat to face a God who is utterly righteous, utterly holy, if we know that we are sinners, that we have done wickedness, that we've done hurt and harm to others. But you know what God says to us? If you'll repent... And, 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 and turn away from that and run to Christ and receive his forgiveness, I will be your refuge 
I'll be your stronghold. That God met out his justice upon his son, as we were thinking about in our hymns earlier, uh, so that if we are sheltering under Christ, then we are safe, even though we ourselves have been sinners and wicked. And there's one more determination in, in, in the first two verses. Verse 2, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. It's not enough for David to recount God's deeds. It's not enough for him to exalt in God. It's something that leads him to want to sing God's praises. And in fact, something happens in his heart. It's not just enough that for him to want to sing God's praises. Look at verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. You see, David wants other people to join in. It's not just he's going to do it. He says, I want you lot to do it as well. Sing his praises. You know, when our life circumstances are getting us down, and remember that is the context. The context is verse 13. Enemies persecuting. He feel like he's at the very gates of death. Instead of getting glum, what does he do? He gets glad in the Lord. Now there's a choice we can all make, isn't it? Stay being glum or choose to be glad in the Lord. This is, this is the way that David is, is wanting to lead us. Praising the king of justice. If you're being unjustly accused, falsely experiencing suffering, I've got good news. There is a king upon a throne who meets out justice and he is the stronghold for all the oppressed. Run to him. Rejoice in him. Delight in him and sing his praises. That's what David urges to do. Just think about that. In a sense, we've got a choice to make. We can determine to give thanks wholeheartedly. I will praise you with all my heart. It's a choice. Sometimes we enjoy misery, don't we? We want to be unhappy, but it's pretty depressing for everyone else around you. Uh, So there's a good point where you say, actually, um, I'm going to snap out of this, and I'm going to choose to rejoice wholeheartedly in the Lord. Sometimes it takes me a whole day to get to that point. Pathetic, really. I come to the end of the day and think, well, why didn't I start rejoicing earlier? Recount God's deeds. Consider all that he's done for us. Do you know what? Let's talk to each other about what God has done. I don't think we nearly do this enough. We really don't. Let's talk to each other about the Lord Jesus. When did you last talk about the Lord Jesus with your Christian friends? When you last talk about the character of God, what you've seen about God in his word, who he is, what he's done for you, and shared it with somebody. Enjoyment happens when you share stuff, doesn't it? It's one thing to see a beautiful sunset. It's another thing to stand with someone next to you and go, look at that sunset, isn't that amazing? You go, he's amazing, isn't it? There's joy in that. Choose to gladly exult in God. And, and sing God's praises. Make good use of our gatherings on Sunday. Do you know what? You've got two chances every Sunday to come and sing God's praises with his people. Why would you miss that opportunity? <laughs> Tremendous opportunity. I find it so much more encouraging to sing with other people than on my own. And it is a, it is a great privilege to sing with believers. And there's joy in that, isn't there? 
Do you find joy in that? Uh, Liam, Andy, and I, we went away for a few days uh, a couple of weeks back to pray and think about the church. And uh, we spent the first 45 minutes just praising God for all the evidences of his grace in this church. I wasn't feeling that encouraged at the beginning. By the end, I was so encouraged. As we remind ourselves all the ways that we see God graciously at work in this church and in people's lives. And do you know what? There was joy in all our hearts at the end of 45 minutes of praising God. I think we're missing a trick sometimes. It's not a trick. We're wired for worship. You know that, don't you? God's made us to be this way. And and what a joy it is to sing his praises. And having done that, it gave us faith to consider the challenges that were ahead of us. Knowing that this same God who is at work will continue to be at work and we can depend upon him for the challenges that are ahead. And that's exactly what David does here. Having praised God, he then turns to pray about the present challenges. He praises God for past deliverances and then he prays to God for uh, future deliverance in his current challenges. Look, verse 13 again. Oh Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy. Lift me up from the gates of death. Now notice with me that David addresses God about his concerns uh, not with any sense of entitlement. What does he say? Have mercy. He doesn't come to God and ask him for what he deserves. David knows that he's weak. He's still a sinful person. But he does know God. He does know God's character. He does know, as it says in um, verse 12, that he does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. And so in verse 13, as if he says, says, Lord, you don't ignore the cry of the afflicted. See my affliction. See my affliction. And if he's lying at the gates of death, Why does he want to remain alive at the gates of Zion, as it says in verse uh, verse 14? What's his motivation? Is Is it because he wants a more comfortable life? Well, no. Look at verse 14. That I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. Lord, preserve me because I want to keep singing your praises. The Westminster Shorter Confession has got it right, I think, when it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you know, this is, you know, if you're wondering, what is my life about? What's the purpose of my life? Well, here's the purpose of your life, that you may declare the praises of God, that you would rejoice in your salvation. That's what you're made. Everything else is a bonus then on top of that to worship this God who lovingly made you, who has redeemed you in Christ, is why we are here. And David recognizes that, and he says, Lord, please save me from my affliction, because I want to do more of this praising. I so enjoyed praising you for what you've done in the past. I want to look back on this one too, and praise you, you brought me through that as well. And he prays to God to act in justice, God is a God of justice, so act in justice. And he longs that God would have the final word in history. Look at verse 19. Arise, O Lord. Let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. 
Let the nations know they are but men. And if I were the pastor to Rimsha and her family and her suffering community, I think this would be a great psalm to read, uh, to come up with some new tune so that we could sing it and that we could pray it together. Now, I don't know what future challenges uh, we will face as a Christian community living in Britain. But it seems to me an increasingly hardened, secular state wants to oppose Christian thinking. And I want to say to us that the days may not be that far away where we too face such discouragement of injustice and opposition. And when we do, we will need to pray something like this. Bring justice, O God. Vindicate your name. Humble, proud, and sinful men and bring them to bow the knee to King Jesus before they stand before his judgment seat. Store up this psalm in your heart for that day. Let's pray.